Yeah, the fumble, I don't know uh, if I can do much about that. I'm trying to make a play, um, third and 17, just, um, you know, I knew the guy was chasing me. Uh, I didn't know how close he was. Obviously, he's like 6'8", and got a really long arm, so he made a, he made a good play on it. Uh, but the first one, yeah, it's uh, squarely on me, just trying to make a smart play by not taking a sack and ended up kind of getting unlucky and, and being a dumb play. Hello, Dolphin fans. Welcome to the same old Dolphin show, now a part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Well, Brain, I don't know how else to say this, but... I think we may have just sat through the most same old Dolphins football game that I've ever seen. It was the quintessential same old Dolphins game. I I mean, you could not script a more same old Dolphins outcome than the one that played out on Sunday. I mean, and, and you know, listen, I predicted the Dolphins would get out to an early lead and that eventually the Bengals would be too much to handle. And in fact, I predicted the score exactly correctly, but I don't even think I would have expected it to look the way it did. When I was thinking Dolphins get out to a lead, I thought maybe the Dolphins would be up by a touchdown or a field goal at halftime and that it would just sort of logically slowly move to a place where the Bengals took over the game. Instead, this was a complete fourth quarter collapse by the Miami Dolphins, and it turned into the Bengals winning at 27-17. In fact, I, when I felt the tide turning in the third quarter, the game was tied at the time, and I said, I know it's a tie game right now, but is there any doubt in anybody's mind that the Bengals end up winning this game by two scores? And then, lo and behold... The Dolphins, same old Dolphin, and they ended up losing it 27-17. It was a it was a tough afternoon to be a Miami Dolphin fan, but it's also the kind of afternoon that if you've been a Dolphin fan for any kind of period of time, it's something that you've really grown used to over time. And so, I mean, I don't know how it was for you, Brain, but for me, I was sitting there very upset for about probably for most of the fourth quarter I was pretty upset and then by the time the game ended I had just resigned myself to you know what this team is exactly who we thought they were and they are in fact the same old Dolphins they are and there's nothing more same old Dolphins than fooling you if even for an instant giving you that glimmer of hope because they went up seven, nothing and they had a, an excellent drive. It was a kind of a defensive struggle through the first quarter. They get the seven points in the second quarter. 
the the defense continues to just have a stalwart effort and then they get the the punt return at the end of the half and it's just it's so huge because they you felt like in the first half the dolphins pretty much aside from the Bengals opening drive where the Bengals got some rhythm going and drove down the field but ultimately after falling behind the chains with a holding call ended up throwing an interception on a third down on a third and long aside from that the Bengals got virtually nothing going in the first half they did have a field goal attempt that got blocked but the dolphins dominated all three phases of the game in the first half. And I I sat there in the first half and I said, I I believe I even tweeted it out. I said, 14-0 on the road against a good team and a quote-unquote big game? Maybe I need to start buying in. And then my next quote was kind of me catching myself. My next tweet was, they got to finish this off. I've seen this too many times. Then the way they came out in the you third don't quarter. Say. You don't say. You've seen this too many times? <laughs> We've seen this before. Yeah. And then for them to come out in the third quarter, immediately make a defensive stop, offense come down, put more points on the board, and really be, do it by controlling the line of scrimmage, it just felt like, hey, maybe this, maybe this team is different. And that's when it started to fall apart. Yeah, the Bengals Bengals go down the field on their next possession. Granted, Dolphins make a nice stop in the red zone. Nice stop down at the, you know, on a first and goal to go scenario. Dolphins defense stood up and held the Bengals to a field goal attempt, which, you know, cut cut the lead to 17 to three. And you're still feeling okay at that point. Really still feeling okay at that point. Next possession, Dolphins get the ball, moving it. On a couple of big runs from Frank Gore, who was fantastic on first and second downs running the ball today. Frank Gore, uh, just really a future Hall of Famer, I think, and really showing that he still has it. And the Dolphins are right to put the trust in him because at this point, as far as pure running, Frank Gore, I think, is the more reliable of the two running backs at the moment. Dolphins find themselves in a third and one with just under four minutes to go in the third quarter with an opportunity to continue controlling the clock and continue with their grip on the game, which at this point, even though the Bengals had scored, the Dolphins, you know, had stopped them in the first and goal to go situation and had an opportunity to keep moving the ball and potentially expand their lead. And then on third and one, Gase has Tannehill roll out and throw a long pass to Kenny Stills. Pass Mm. falls incomplete. Laramie Tunsil is uh receives a hit in that on that play that puts him into the concussion protocol and from there it just starts to snowball. Yeah, and the that play call was especially troubling because they had been running the ball so well up to that point. And even That's if the you're worst gonna th- part. That's the worst part. It drives even if me you're going to throw the ball there, even if you're going to throw the ball, it should be a high percentage play. I mean, it's third and one. You're moving the ball. You've got a chance on this drive 
to to make this again a three score game, if not put the game away by scoring a touchdown, and you're moving the ball pretty easily down Cincinnati's throats, and you basically stop yourself by calling a low percentage pass play. Kills the drive dead. Dolphins punt. The very next possession, the Bengals get the ball and drive all the way down the field for a touchdown. Now, granted, that possession should have been dead after Dalton throws an incomplete pass to his tight end, C.J. Azuma, Uzoma. Uh, but after the pass is incomplete, T.J. McDonald comes up and lays a late hit on Uzoma. I think it's it's borderline whether it was a, a bad hit. But the the pass was incomplete at that point. You can't hit a receiver like that. It's, he hits a defensive receiver. It's one of those bad discipline penalties. And uh, that keeps the drive alive for the Bengals. It ends up a few plays later with Joe Mixon catching a touchdown pass from Andy Dalton. Makes it 17-10. to 10, And then, right there, well and truly, you began to feel the momentum start to shift. The ensuing possession... Sam Young comes in on the in that guard position in place of Tunsil, and at this point the line collapses. And Adam Gase, rather than saying, "Okay, my offensive line is jeopardized here," rather than rolling out and putting Tannehill on the move, which is something that I said at the beginning of, before the game started that I thought was going to be a key in this game was if you didn't trust your offensive line, you needed to have Tannehill on the move to keep the Bengals off balance. Instead, he keeps Tannehill on the pocket. The offensive line collapses. Tannehill instead of just eating a sack, which has been a lot, which has been something of a problem of his. Instead, he tries to make a play. Instead, bounces the ball off of Durham Smythe's helmet and ends up being picked off and returned for a touchdown. Bengals tie the game 17-17. And that was when I sent out the tweet that said, this, this is headed for disaster. And, uh, and it wouldn't get much better. It wouldn't get much better. The Dolphins would get the ball again and do nothing with it. And it just sort of all fell apart from there. The rest ends up being history. The Bengals come down field, kick a field goal. Dolphins get the ball down three. And it was like, and this was something that OJ McDuffie tweeted out. And it's interesting because the Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins do have this sort of network of former players who they have sort of kept in the family. Guys like Sam Madison, OJ McDuffie, um, these guys are in the family, right? They're, they're still part of the Dolphins' expanded, not front office necessarily, but you know what I mean. They're 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 part of the group. And OJ McDuffie said one of the biggest problems that the Dolphins has is that they're if they're down by a score late in the game, he has no confidence that Ryan Tannehill or that he has said. I think he said he had no confidence that the team is going to be able to come back and win it. And that starts with the guy with the ball in his hands. And that's Ryan Tannehill. And that's exactly how I felt at this point. Um, again, Gase fails to have Tannehill on the move by design. And uh, it all, it, uh, Tannehill ends up fumbling the ball. And the Bengals run it back for a touchdown, makes it 27-17. And the rest is history. Dolphins blow it on the road, giving up 24 points in the fourth quarter when they had led 
17 to 3. Uh, and it just a very same old Dolphins performance. I think if there was one thing about this game that wasn't stereotypical same old Dolphins is that the typical same old Dolphins would have, it wouldn't have been Tannehill necessarily throwing the game away. It would have been the defense breaking down and allowing the Bengals offense to win the game on their own. Um, in this instance, the defense didn't even really have the chance to blow it because Tannehill blew it for them. And it was just frustrating. Now, I should say defense deserves, we'll start with some positives from this game. I thought the defense actually did play pretty well in this game. It was obvious to me that they were buoyed by the return of Rashad Jones, who played a very good game. Uh, I thought Jerome Baker is really starting to come into his own. He had a very good game here. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I thought, had another pretty good game as well. He did his best dealing with uh, A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd. You know, there were there were things about this defense that was good. They were putting pressure on Andy Dalton. Charles Harris even made a play. I mean, it, it, I would have ideally liked to have seen a lot more from Charles Harris, but at least he made a, managed to make a play. The defense looked good. The defense looked good. Um... Until the fourth quarter. Until the fourth quarter. But again, it was really only that that one touchdown drive. And it again, it was they got worn down by the fact that... Uh, they- I, don't, I don't know. I, like, I, I get it. The defense played a pretty good game. But I don't think the defense should be immune from criticism in this game. Because, yes, the offense lost them this game. That The 100%. But... Not only did they give up that long touchdown drive, and look, you're not going to shut out a good team at their home, especially a team that's been putting up, what, like 30 points a game and been one of the better offensive teams in the league. You're not going to shut them out. But not only did you give up that big touchdown drive, but with the game tied at 17, you punt the ball back to them and you've been stopping the run all game. And you just let them move right down the field. And I don't want to hear about uh, that the defense was tired because they were they were on the field too long or they were, uh, you know, the offense wasn't doing their part. Look, they it's not like the defense was on the field a, a, a large portion of the game. The, the time of possession was split. The defense at that point, Look, you know the offense is limited, and you know the offense is struggling. The defense had carried them at that point to even for them to even be in the game. For that game to be tied at 17 at that point, it was because the defense had played well, because the special teams had played well. The defense cannot allow Cincinnati to drive all the way down the field. And granted, yes, they, Cincinnati got into the goal-to-go situation, and they did hold them to the field goal. but. You just let them drive right down the field. And that's when you really needed the defense to step up and stem the tide and give you some momentum and give the offense the ball back with a chance to go ahead or win the game. The defense didn't get the job done either. I thought it was a total breakdown in the fourth quarter. The defense played great for three quarters, but I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit here and just say the defense played a great game and can't play any better because the defense was not good in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you're right. They they weren't good in the fourth quarter, although they 
also weren't on the field for much of the fourth quarter, but and that's that that's my point is that sometimes in a game like this where you're not getting very much help from the offense you say oh well the defense got tired they got worn out but it's you know Cincinnati scored a defensive touchdown so it's not like the Dolphins defense was out there for the whole second half uh it was just a matter of the Bengals started getting things going and the Dolphins stopped stopping the run fair enough the momentum of the game changed and the Dolphins' defense, after playing great for three quarters, same old Dolphin. Yeah, but let's stick with the positives for now before we get on to the negatives, of which there are plenty. Um, we, we sort of talked about the defensive positives in the game. You also have to give a shout-out to Jakeem Grant, who continues to be a special player in the special teams, he had a uh, 70-something-yard punt return for a touchdown right at the end of the first half, which really started to make you feel like maybe the Dolphins can win this game. It put them up by two scores in a game in which the defense had been playing very well, and you go into halftime feeling really good about the Dolphins' chances. So Jaquim Grant played well in this game. I thought really the special teams overall was good in this game. Chase Allen... Uh, blocked a punt, although the referees said he didn't touch the ball and then called him for running into the kicker penalty. You, you, he, wait, did you see some sort of evidence that was conclusive that he actually when blocked the, play the punt? Happened, I'm almost certain I heard. I heard. I don't think so. The ball, the punt, I, be blocked. But either way, I don't think so. Either way. I thought that was a good play, even though he got flagged and it kept the drive alive. Of course, the defense then stood up and. I don't even think the Bengals got another first down on the drive. So they got out of jail there. Um, but the Dolphins special teams also blocked a field goal in this game. I thought it was a pretty good performance from the special teams unit, which is not something that <laughs> we've we've said a whole lot of about uh, Darren Rizzi's special teams units. Um, other positives, the Dolphins did establish the run game here. This was uh, the best the run game has looked really since week one. Um, the Dolphins were able to generate some room. Frank Gore just looked very good off of the line. Kenyon Drake also was incorporated into the game, particularly on in some passing plays was where he had the most of his success here, including a 22-yard touchdown reception from Ryan Tannehill. Uh, the, these were positives. These were some positives in the game. The Dolphins' offensive line looked pretty good against um, – a, a pretty tough Cincinnati defensive line, at least in the early stages of this game, before everything went south, before Laramie Tunsil went out of the game. Um, those are the positives that I have. Brain, is there any? Are there any other positives that you have that jump out to you after this game in Cincinnati? Um, I thought the secondary, by and large, played pretty well. Uh, look. AJ Green's a phenomenal player. He's a phenomenal talent and he's going to get his. But I thought that they contained him. He didn't go off on them. Uh and I thought Minka Fitzpatrick was all over the field and and he looked good. Uh Tyler Boyd did not make a huge impact. That was kind of a team effort. Fitzpatrick spent some of the game on him. Baker spent some of the game on him. Uh McTire was on him a little bit. Um, cause they moved Boyd all over because Ross was, was out of the game with a, with a quad injury. Uh, so 
you know, he played outside, he played inside, and it was a team effort to kind of contain him. And I thought the defense, I thought the defense played great for three quarters, and that was the positive. The negative was the fourth quarter happened. That, that, that was it. Like I, I looked at the whole game because I would even say through three quarters, I thought Tannehill was playing pretty well. I, I thought he was a little shaky at the beginning, but really came to life in that drive in the second quarter for the touchdown. Looked pretty good early on on the drive in the in the third quarter. And where we got the field goal, you had the unfortunate play call, the third and one. Um, and then after that, you know, that's when uh, Tunsil went out and that's where everything kind of went haywire on them and everything snowballed. But I thought the, the team as a whole was playing a great game. They were playing really well. They were doing what this team needs to do to win football games, which is to play within themselves, take advantage of the opportunities they have and just not make mistakes. They were doing that for three quarters and then the fourth quarter happened. So that that's my positives and my negatives, my positives, the first three quarters, my negatives, the fourth quarter, and it's the whole team on down. Yeah. I, I mean, that fourth quarter was as bad as it gets and it's, Something that we've seen before. It's it's a stereotypical Miami Dolphins collapse. And it's it's a pretty sad thing, especially now as you have to start to take stock of the season. Remember, there were a lot of people that were talking about how this Dolphins team was flying high at 3-0. And now they've got a very tough Chicago Bears team coming in. A 3-1 Chicago Bears team, which, which offense has... Been up and down. Mitchell Trubisky, when he's on, looks incredible. But when he's off, you know, it looks like there's that's something that the Dolphins might be able to take advantage of. But with the offensive line banged up for the Dolphins, I don't know how you look at, and we'll talk about this later this week, I don't know how you look too positively into the face of Khalil Mack and that legit Chicago Bears defense. Uh, there is the Dolphins are now finding themselves in a situation where they may very easy, may very quickly be staring three and three in the face after that three and zero start. But let's stick with this game against Cincinnati. And there's something that I want to there's something that I want to share with everybody here because I tweeted something out at the beginning of the season, um, very early. In actually, I think it was in the preseason, right before the regular season started. Um, I had some concerns, and and here's what I'm going to read. So this was on August 25th, so just before the regular season started. I said, so here's what I think is my biggest concern heading into the regular season. Tannehill and this offense have the ability to look good in flashes, but the unit's consistent inconsistency will likely hold the team back. This could, of course, change in the regular season, but right now, this is an offensive unit that is middle of the pack at best, and bottom tier at worst. If they can produce consistent consistently, it's a different story. But this preseason hasn't been encouraging. Today, or I'm sorry, late last night, late Sunday night, Joe Shad tweeted out, the Miami Dolphins offense, 29th in points per game, 30th in the NFL in yards per game, 29th in the league, and third down conversions, 
and 31st in the league in time of possession. As of right now, despite the positives and those sparks, those flashes that we've seen from the Miami Dolphins offense, this Miami Dolphins offense is bad. It is objectively bad. It is objectively in the bottom tier of the National Football League. And this was my concern, was that this team is just too inconsistent. And a lot of that falls onto the shoulders of the head coach, Adam Gase, and the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Absolutely. And and I think we said at the beginning of the season, what, what Ryan Tannehill can do and where the Dolphins can succeed is if you can have Ryan Tannehill in a situation where all he needs to do is be a game manager. If the Dolphins find themselves in a position where Ryan Tannehill has to put the team on his shoulders and lead them to victory, he does not have that capability. He may have, it it may have been something that he's done in the past and he's shown it on occasion that that's something that he can do, but it is not something that he is capable of doing on a consistent basis. When the Dolphins are going to have success, if the Dolphins are going to have success with Ryan Tannehill, we've said it on this show, He needs everything around him to go exactly right. He needs the defense to play a complete game and to be dominant. And he needs the rest of his offensive, the rest of that offense around him to also be operating at full capacity. And we've seen that even in those situations, even when the offensive line is as healthy as it gets, he's, he's not an elite quarterback. He's a quarterback that can, when everything is going right, he can do just enough to win you football games. But at his worst, Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback who will lose you football games. And in the situation today, when the Dolphins, when that offensive line started falling apart and Adam Gase decided that he was going to throw the ball on third and one when the running game had been doing well, you're relying on Ryan Tannehill to do too much. And he's not capable of doing that. And what it turned into was Ryan Tannehill losing you the football game. Now, I'm not putting the entire loss on the shoulders of Ryan Tannehill because everybody is culpable Is culpable here. Uh, you should have had more offensive line depth on this team. You need to know that you need to have people that you feel can actually not be turnstiles on the offensive line if one of your starters goes out. You don't need to have four quarterbacks on your roster, particularly when you've made no appreciable moves in the offseason to support the idea that there's anybody else that's even competing with Ryan Tannehill to be the starting quarterback on this team. If you don't have somebody like that lined up, you've already said, Ryan Tannehill's my guy, so why do you need four quarterbacks on this roster? If Tannehill goes out, it's over. And now you're seeing that even if Tannehill's in there, it's over because you don't have the kind of depth that you need to recover from injuries. And yes, the Dolphins have dealt with significant injuries this season. They've lost at at the time of the collapse in this game. They had lost three of their starting offensive linemen. That's a significant drop-off. But you need to be prepared for that. There needs to be some sort of plan in place besides let's just see if Tannehill can win us this football game. 
And a lot of that falls on Adam Gase. And the other thing that falls on Adam Gase is his inability to be a consistently good play caller. In fact, most of the time, he's been a bad play caller. And we've seen now that it has cost this team. Let's not forget, Dolphins scored 17 points in this game, 10 of them generated by the offense. So this is a game where the starting, so this is two weeks now where the starting offense has combined for 10 points. They didn't score at all against New England, and they only managed 10 points in this game against Cincinnati. A Cincinnati defense, mind you, that looked very bad and looked like it was there for the taking, and the Dolphins still only managed 10 points off of that defense and only in the first three quarters, and then they collapsed in the fourth quarter. So it's a very frustrating thing, and I think it's just, this is who Ryan Tannehill is. And this is a problem that the Dolphins have. If you can't build a team around Ryan Tannehill that will allow him to simply be a game manager, you're not going to win football games. Ryan Tannehill is not Tom Brady. He is not Aaron Rodgers. He is not Matt Ryan. He is not even, he's not even Andrew Luck. He's not even Andy Dalton. Right. He's not even Andy Dalton. I told you, I said in the preview show that I put Andy Dalton on a tier slightly above Ryan Tannehill. Now you see why. Tannehill, and, and one of the things that I tweeted out in this game is that Tannehill has the ability to make great plays in flashes, but he always has in his back pocket the ability to do something stupid, like that interception that he threw. Um, he has the ability. He's like Mr. Stripsack. He, he just always seems to be able to, have somebody come up from behind him and strip the ball away from him. And that's going to be a significant issue next week as well. It's just, you really find yourself in a place after this game and it's so upsetting and it's so disappointing and I'm sort of venting it out here. And so I appreciate everybody for dealing with this right here, but I feel like what makes it so frustrating is that we're in the same place seven years into Ryan Tannehill's career. We're in the exact same place as we were at the beginning, where this is who he is. And the organization has made no appreciable steps to move on from him. And at this point in the game, that is on Adam Gase, who made the decision in the offseason. And we talked about it at length on this show. We said, you have to have a backup plan. You have to have your next step in place in the quarterback position. Because if Ryan Tannehill isn't the guy who you want him to be, if he can't rise to whatever level, or, I mean, and we were coming at it almost purely from the injury standpoint, but the team has made no effort to invest in their future in the quarterback position. Articles have come out this week that have said that the Dolphins have big plans for Luke Falk down the line. Is Luke Falk the next franchise quarterback for the Miami Dolphins? That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean this is this is what we talked about in the in the offseason was that you had four quarterbacks that were coming out this year that scouts said were franchise quarterbacks and the Dolphins did not make an effort to get one of them. They did not make an effort. They, they put some feelers out. 
Uh, there were some rumors, and they flat out told you that they did not want to draft a quarterback. They extended Ryan Tannehill. They went all in on Ryan Tannehill. And, okay, I get it. You you think if, if Ryan Tannehill can be a game manager that can win you a Super Bowl Brain. and you can pay him – you know, Brain. whatever. He's, he is a twenty-six. He's a twenty-six point six million dollar cap hit next season. Yeah, it's not 26.6. good. Twenty-six point six. Is this a quarterback that you're going to pay twenty-six million dollars to next season? No, I think at that I don't point. Think you I can. mean, is that guaranteed money? I don't think it's fully guaranteed. Because I think, at that point, I think you cut him. I mean, I think the Dolphins are on the hook for a for like at least half of that money. Um, but at this point, you've either got to renegotiate that contract. Well, they just renegotiated. Yeah, that's true. They did. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what you do at this point because you've, you've gone all in on Ryan Tannehill. And at this point, you're the best option that is available is you've got a draft class coming up that is by all accounts, not a particularly deep draft for QBs. In fact, I don't think there's a lot of top tier quarterback prospects in this draft at all. So you're faced with the option of if you get rid of Tannehill, do you sign one of these free agent quarterbacks in the offseason? Do you sign Terod Taylor in the offseason as a stopgap quarterback while you again, for what seems like the hundredth time in the post Marino era, get a stopgap quarterback and completely rebuild the team? No, and that's the, that's the thing is that none of these stopgap options that are going to be available are going to be better than Tannehill. So you're just kind of stuck with him until you find that guy. And that's why this offseason was the time to do it because there was the opportunity was there. It was right there in front of them. They just needed to do something bold to say, look, Ryan Tannehill might be a decent quarterback, but we need to have a plan in place in case he's not, because there's a lot of evidence that suggests that he might not be. And they didn't do it. And and so it's all blown up in their face. So this is what happens when you hitch your wagon to Ryan Tannehill. He's... Look, I'm sure he'll he'll bounce back and he'll have games where he fools you and people will say, aha, see, he is good enough to win. But in the grand scheme of things, over the course of an entire season, over the course of his career, he's not going to win you anything unless, as you said, the defense is elite and the running game is elite and he doesn't need to do much. And you know what? If the quarterback doesn't need to do much, you don't need to spend that much on a quarterback. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty stunning indictment of Mike Tannenbaum and Adam Gase for going all in on Tannehill and having it not pay off. Now, let's collect ourselves for a second because we're we're rightfully pretty upset after this game, and 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 everybody is, and. It you got to bring yourself back where you say, okay, first place, baby. The Dolphins are still tied for the Patriots, <laughs> tied with the Patriots for first place in the AFC East. Now, 
Obviously, the Patriots now hold the tiebreaker over the Dolphins. The Dolphins lost a key game to an AFC opponent who is likely to be involved in the playoff picture at the end of the season. So that's that's a big blow. But there's still, obviously, there's still time to recover from this. It really now, if Adam Gase wants to continue to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins football team, I'm not putting him on the hot seat right now or calling for him to be fired right now. I'm not calling for that because I'm a believer that, you know, a head coach in the National Football League deserves more than five weeks, especially when your team is three and two, especially when your team is in first place. But the pressure is now squarely on him to figure out a way to win. Yes, you have a lot of injuries, but this is the National Football League. These you, You're being paid a lot of money. Figure it out. Figure it out. You still everybody's have... Everybody's got injuries. Uh, the Bengals had injuries. Yes, everybody's got injuries. Injuries are part of the game. And, you know, figure out a way... Figure out a way to make it work. You know, I think if you're more consistently moving Tannehill around, that is going to stop people from just bringing all out pressure on you. It's going to make those defensive linemen second guess. And that's something that the Dolphins need to do at this point. You have an athletic quarterback, use him in that way. Don't expect Ryan Tannehill to stand in the pocket and stare down the face of the Chicago Bears defense because as we've seen in the past, Tannehill doesn't perform particularly well in the pocket when the pressure is on him. He just doesn't do particularly well. In the first half of the game against Cincinnati, there were a number of passes that were off target that Tannehill should have hit receivers, but the pressure was a little bit on him and he got a little panicked in the pocket and and you know ended up missing his spots. Uh now obviously that can happen with any quarterback, but you know, <laughs> we need to we need to do something different. Something needs to change in the way that this offense works because right now staring being down in the bottom tier is is not a good look, especially for a team that finds themselves three and two. And that is likely going to be playing meaningful football games into the month of December. Now, I could be wrong about that. The Dolphins might never win another game this season. But it looks like this team has the ability to win football games. So it's now a question of whether or not that they can make the adjustments that they need to make to move forward. And a lot of that falls on Adam Gase because he wants to be the play caller for this team. So if that's something that you want to do, Adam Gase, call some plays that are going to make me believe because right now you're losing fans all over the place. As you scroll through Twitter today, you see a lot of columns. Adam Gase is losing the fans. Ryan Tannehill is losing the fans. I mean, there have been ardent Tannehill supporters that I see on on Twitter that are finally coming to terms with the fact that this is not a guy that is going to win you a Super Bowl. And he's not if you're going to rely on him being an integral part of what that of of what that Super Bowl team is going to be. If you're relying on a quarterback to play above like really like above top uh, above average top tier quarterback play, that's not something that you're going to get from Ryan Tannehill. You've got to build a team around him that can carry him as opposed to building a team that Tannehill needs to carry. And I don't know that that's something that can change overnight. And I think that's something that's going to take a lot of work. But again, as you said, if that's the kind of team that you're building, do you really need to pay Tannehill 26 plus million dollars next year? So 
it, it's a tough spot. This has been a very <laughs> tough couple of weeks for the Miami Dolphins, and this game ends up being even, it ends up hurting more than the blowout in New England did because that blowout in New England was very much about a Patriots team that was getting back on track, and it was a Dolphins team that was not quite ready for prime time. And then it was about, let's see how this Dolphin team recovers and goes into Cincinnati and see if they can get a a gutsy performance on the road. And in fact, what we ended up with was another spineless Miami Dolphins collapse. And it hurts a little bit. Um, Let's go to the Twitter machine and and read some of the thoughts that we have from some of our friends on Twitter. Um, Let's see, we've got at Pablo G Radio says, I like Minka a lot, but I would have happily used his draft pick and the one we used on Charles Harris on a QB that's worth a damn. So again, that that sort of anti-Tannehill sentiment. Um, here's one from Angry Al from Port St. Lucie. He says, Tannehill isn't on the same level as Andy Dalton. Also, there are maybe four to five teams who have a worse quarterback situation than us. Doesn't that say something about Tannehill? Let's see. Uh, at Dolphins End Zone says, today was just an example of why, one, the team needs a true quarterback, and two, the team needs a proven coach. Stop with the experiments. At UC Funk said, they fooled me again. I was all on board the Gase culture train. Now I just get four hours back a week until we fire Gase or Ross mercifully sells the team. Yeah, geez. Uh, at Big Def Energy says, when the fins are bad, it's at a fundamental level. Bad play calling. Bad play execution, bad discipline, bad mistakes, bad spirit. The team needs to both sharpen up and take a good hard look at itself. Can't move forward like this. Hashtag, I would I would add hashtag <laughs> tweets say- from the last 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I would say that that is the story of the same old Dolphins. Yeah, it, it's... It's really, really bad. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, what other ones do I want to share here? Oh, at Golski. You can like see the heartbreak over the course of his tweets. He says, that was an awful ending to what should have been an incredible win. The defense was outstanding. They played like rabid dogs. Rashad Jones makes a huge difference, too. We know how you feel about all of that, Brain. Um, and then he says, at the start of the fourth, I began typing an apology to the Finns regarding my doubts for the season as they were comfortably moving towards an amazing win. Luckily, something told me not to press send just yet. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, here's but that's what that's what they do, because, again, it's not a same old Dolphins game without a glimmer of hope. Exactly. And finally, uh, from at Cooper DC 23 to quote a famous coach, they are who we thought they'd be eight and eight at best. It's uh, listen, it is possible this team ends up in that seven and nine to nine and seven range where they sort of have lived uh, in that sort of purgatory state. And and honestly, that's what it feels like. It feels like there are going to be some exciting moments and there are going to be some big wins. And quite frankly, there will probably be some surprising wins along the way. I wouldn't completely rule out the Dolphins beating the Bears at home next week. This is a very different team when they play at home versus when they play on the road. But it just really now, and I was... I was reluctant to buy into it after the performance in New England, but after this collapse, it just, you feel yourself back in that place where the Dolphins just always seem to be 
in that seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven range where they're fighting to get into the playoffs via a wild card spot. And it's like, that's not what the goal is. The goal isn't to get to the playoffs in a wildcard spot. The goal is to win the Super Bowl. And the Dolphins appear no closer to it today than they were at the end of last season. Now, granted, we're only five weeks into this season and there's a long way to go and a lot can and probably will change between now and the end of the year. But as we sit here recording a wrap-up show after the week five loss to Cincinnati... It just very much feels like we are in the zone of the same old Dolphins. And I'm going to leave you with one last stat. The Dolphins record now under Adam Gase, including the playoff loss. They were 10 and 7 in the first year, 6 and 10. So they were 16 and 17 coming into the year. And now... Three and two, so they're 19 and 19. Tony Sperano, in his first 38 games, the team 25 or 39 games. I'm sorry, am I am I reading that right? 11 and five, made it 11 and six after the loss, then followed it up with a seven and nine, so that would be 18. And 14 and then started three and two, much like Adam Gase, 21 and and 17, 21 and 17. So Adam Gase currently a worse record than Tony Sperano through the same number of games in very mirror image that they're they're mirror mirror images of each other as far as coaches with what has happened uh, in their tenures as Miami Dolphins coaches. Tony Sperano taking over a bad team, quote unquote, changing the culture with a surprising playoff appearance, and then underwhelming, underperforming, and then ultimately fired and losing the fan base. Adam Gase is following that trajectory to a T and I'm, I'm tired of hearing about how that he has clearly changed the culture when the only evidence of any culture change is that they made the playoffs two years ago, which is the same evidence of Tony Sperano's culture change. It was an aberration, a fluke and then mediocrity. And that's all I see from Adam Gase. And I'm tired of everybody giving this guy the pass, especially when he just jettisons any player that speaks out against him, any player that is unhappy, part of your job. And that's the very Joe Philbin thing to do. And somehow we we chastise Joe Philbin, we chastise Tony Sperano, but Adam Gase gets a pass. Because he's being hard and if you're not here to play football and you don't love football, then get the hell out of here. Well, part of your job as a coach at this level is, especially at the professional level, level, is a communicator to your players and a psychologist, a therapist, whether you like it or not. Your job as a coach is to get these guys to buy in. 
and to get them all on the same page. And if you can't get them on the same page to the point where like, okay, this guy's not on the same page. We get rid of him. This guy's not on the same page. We get rid of him. Well, you're getting rid of talented players because they're not on the same page. How about you figure out a way to get them on the same page? Because that's what elite coaches do. Good coaches find a way to bring guys together. They don't just have these guys that are are buying in and then get rid of everybody else. They find a way to make the other guys buy in. And he hasn't been able to do that with the talented players. And that's why you see a team that is frankly not that talented. (sighs) All you can do is sigh. All you can do is sigh. I think at this point, I think even Gase's most ardent supporters are probably starting to turn against him. And like that's where it feels like it really feels like this is the point where the tide has it has begun to turn against both Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase in, in a meaningful way amongst this fan base. So now it's about let's see how you respond. You want to you want to tell us that you guys are special and that this is something special. Now is the time. Well, you better dig down deep and you better show us because if if you don't, I think this is the last year that we see Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill involved in a meaningful way in the Miami Dolphins. You know what's funny is that if you if you would have just taken a look at this game and granted it ended up being 27 to 17 but if you would have said this is like completely in a vacuum no context this was a 20 to 17 game with like two minutes left and then the Bengals scored a defensive touchdown to seal the game you'd say well the Dolphins were in the game until a couple minutes left of the game going into Cincinnati and we and we said going into it just show us some fight and we would have said okay maybe this team has something to them but it's the way that they lost this game that you almost would have rather them just lost it 31 to 10 <laughs> yeah i mean this was this was a heartbreaker it, it was a heartbreaker. And, and, and it's like you said, it was a heartbreaker specifically because it looked like for, for much of this game, it really looked like this was going to be something different. But the collapse was just so familiar. And it's the sort of painful familiarity that comes with being a Miami Dolphin fan that makes this one hurt so much. And yet dulls the pain. Because you expected it. Exactly. It hurts, <laughs> exactly. but it's, it, it hurts because like you've seen it so many times and it's like, oh, I can't believe I fell for it again. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I kind of knew this was going to happen. You kind of knew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time to move on. It's time to take that one and put it behind us and do our best to put on a brave face to face the incoming Chicago Bears and see if we can go lick our wounds and figure out a way to defeat the Chicago Bears team that looks very, very tough indeed. We'll do that on the next episode of the Same Old Dolphin Show. In the meantime, Brain, tell the people where they can find you. Can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. 
And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Amplified to Rock and follow the show on Twitter at Same Old Dolphins. We've got a Facebook page at Facebook dot com slash same old dolphins we'd appreciate you heading over there and giving us a like and uh commenting on our posts over there and joining in the conversation we're of course also now members of the dolphins talk.com podcast network where you can head over to dolphins talk.com and check out all kinds of Miami Dolphins content, a lot of great podcasts, a lot of great columns over there. DolphinsTalk.com is basically your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. So uh, head on over there and give that website a visit. And of course, you can download, rate, review, and subscribe to the same old Dolphins show on Apple Podcasts. So we'd appreciate you heading over there, giving us a five-star rating and leaving us a nice review. You can also follow us on SoundCloud. Every episode of the Same Old Dolphins show is up on SoundCloud as well. That's it for week five. Now we move forward onto week six. We're going to try not to make, we're going to try to make a smart play and hope we don't end up making a dumb play. (laughs) quote of the year absolutely for now take care of yourselves and each other we'll talk to you again next time bye-bye everybody go dolphins miami's got dolphins the greatest football team we take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen